All right. So we are on chapter four. Everybody's got a book? Okay. We're on chapter four, which is page 39, and it's God the Son. Um, and if you'll remember, they wanted me to do like four or five chapters at one time, uh, and, and we didn't do that. And so we're looking at, um, it's part of Article 2, which is the statement about God, but it's specifically about God the Son this time. So we did God the Father last time, we'll do God the Son this time. And so I'll just read the statement there on page 39. Uh, It says, Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, uh, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature uh, with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead, with a glorified body, and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, in whose person is effected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. Okay, so yes, that's a lot. That's, that's a whole bunch of information right there. Um, but, you know, just to try to kind of take things apart and look at them kind of specifically, uh, just that first sentence, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Um, this is the starting point of Christianity. Remember that the faith that we have is older than Christianity. It goes all the way back to the very beginning um, where God spoke and created the world and then he worked through Noah and he worked through Moses and, he, and all of the, 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 the Jewish people down through the line. So um, that Judaism is, is the, I guess you would say, the, the prequel or the, or the, the foundation of Christianity. But Jesus is the eternal Son of God. That is the first step. Uh, You won't be a Christian if you don't believe Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And so that is the the very first step of that. Um, And so when we think of the word eternal, um, I I think that we have to talk about what that means. That means everlasting. Uh, And and we know that eternal means forever from from now to forever. But we have to understand that eternal also means forever in the past as well. Um, so you've got some different verses that they're going to quote um, in, in your, your book, the one that's kind of set in the text. Um, All things were created through him, that's Jesus, and apart from him, not one thing uh, was created that has been created. So that's the, in the beginning was the word, and we're actually going to look at that a little bit more. Um, so when we think about Jesus, we have to remember that not only is he eternal in terms of he will, there will never be a time where Jesus doesn't exist, There never has been a time that Jesus didn't exist. And so this is one of the things that is difficult for for mortal people. Everything for us is on a timeline. Everything is on a clock. Everything has a date. Everything has an appointment or a a place in the schedule. Well, God is eternal. He has always been and he always will be. That's difficult for us to understand. It's just hard for our minds to grasp because everything has a beginning. Um, You know, you think about... 
how weird the world was um, before you had things like Netflix or other streaming services where you might just turn on the TV and there may be a show going and it's already started, but you would sit there and watch it. How could you watch a show from the middle of it? And, and, and think, like, one of, one of my favorite shows, I loved um, JAG, and then when they did NCIS, I enjoyed those shows. And think about the fact that you would just pick up, you'd just turn on the TV, and you had no idea what happened in the episode before. You had no idea what season you were in. You were just watching a show. How do people do that? Like, now, with all the streaming services, we start at episode one, season one, and we go all the way through because it has a beginning point. We can't just jump in in the middle and, and just, you know, swim in those deep waters. Well, that's where we are with Jesus. We are in the middle. We are in those deep waters. He has no beginning. He has no end, and, and we're just kind of somewhere in the middle. And so Jesus is preexistent. He is before all things. He has been there from before all things. So at the bottom of page 40, it has this um, little group of, of questions here, and, and they give you all the verses there in the margin, but they say, read Christ's words uh, in the margin. Not all these are actually Christ's words, but um, read the words in the margin, state how each passage affirms his preexistence. So the first one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was uh, with God in the beginning. So John 1.1, 1, 1, as, as old as God is, Jesus is that old too. And it's really not even fair to use the word old. Um, we can use old about ourselves because we have a starting point and we have an ending point. And so we kind of have this idea of when we become old. But if you're eternal, old doesn't even make any sense, right? Um, so John eight fifty six, your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. So Jesus was around before Abraham. And so that, that lets us know that he has been there. In fact, John uh, 8.58, before Abraham was, I am. It's one of those um, I am statements of Jesus and certainly one that, that proclaims his deity but also his preexistence. The Father and I are one. He couldn't be one with the Father if the Father existed before him. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So he is that and everything in between. And that's what we have to understand about the preexistence of Christ. Now, the birth of Christ, there are two major things that we have to understand about the birth of Christ. The, 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 the incarnation, God becoming flesh, and the virgin birth. Those are the two key components to... Um, the, the, the birth of Christ. And so when we think about the incarnation, God becoming flesh, that was, that, that's an important thing. So when we think about you know, that, that, that story, you find it in Luke or the nativity story, we think about Christmas. And, and all of a sudden that gets us on a whole different train of thought. But we do need to think about what the incarnation actually means. And, and so from a, from a more, I guess you'd say, a, a technical standpoint, they give you Philippians 2.7, uh, which is a good, good idea as, as far as discussing what actually happened there. It says, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And so if, if, if we know that whole passage there, Philippians chapter 2, is talking about Jesus and his choice to come to this earth. And so he existed, the, the Bible says there in Philippians chapter 2, he existed in the form of God. Um, meaning that he was, he was God. He was the same as God. 
Um, but, he, but he decided to, to empty himself from that position. That doesn't mean that he stopped being God. That means, uh, like the, one of the songs that we were, were practicing, it means that, that he gave up heaven. Like he gave up the glory of heaven to come and live on this earth. Now, we know the reason for that is so that he could become a man and he could uh, live a sinless life and, and die a sacrificial death. But he left the glories of heaven. And so, was Jesus God while he was on this earth? Yes, absolutely. Um, but the average person walking up to him and looking at him didn't know that. Just imagine how weird it would be if everybody looked at him and said, oh, that's God. There were people who saw it. There were people who understood at certain times. And when they did understand, it was a wonderful thing. But, you know, to the average person, Jesus was just a man. That was what they saw. And that means that Jesus fully became a man. That's what incarnation is all about, is becoming part of the flesh or, or in the flesh. So Jesus completely came as a man. As a man. So we have... Um, we have that nativity story, and the story is of a baby that is born, and that's exactly the way that we need to understand it, because he was a baby. He was a human baby um, that was born, but he was also God. And so uh, John 1.14, or yeah, John 1.14 says, um, the word became flesh and took up residence among us, and that's, that's really the, the, the picture there. Um, so the incarnation means that Jesus is God. Um, it also means that he came to earth in a human form. Um, Jesus exemplified infinite humanity. He is everything that there is about humans. He is that, but it, and he died for our sins. And so when we think about Jesus being both God and man, Jesus' mission was to bring God and man back together. And he himself is the example of that. Like he is the the prototype of all of that. The Bible talks about that. He is the firstborn of many. So he is, that, he is that prototype of God and man back together. Man and God were together. Sin separated us, or mankind's sin separated us from God, and, and Jesus is bringing us back together. And so that is what the incarnation is about, is the fact that Jesus came. He, he, he was, was a, a man on this earth and lived as a man with all the things. I mean, Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus got sleepy. All the, the things about humanity, Jesus had that except the sin. Now, when we think about the other element here, the virgin birth, um, on its surface, it really does sound, um, I guess you'd say, that sounds more like the myth or the fable, but, but think about what we just talked about. God became a human. That's a pretty high-level miracle there. The fact that, that God made a virgin have a child, that, that's nothing compared to God becoming a human. And so, so when we think about what the miracles are, it was clearly announced um, by angels. We have multiple uh, witness accounts of, of what actually happened. The whole thing is spelled out for us. There's not, there's not mystery. There's not questions. There's, I mean, we know what happened. Mary and Joseph were betrothed, but they were not yet married. Um, Mary was, was told by the angel that she was going to have a child. Joseph was also visited by angels and told that he was to be like a father to that child. Um, but we have to understand why the virgin birth. We have to understand that it actually matters. So when man and woman have a child, that child comes into this world in sin. It comes into this world already under the, the, the penalty 
of sin. And so God chose to do something miraculous through Mary. And so she, he was born and he was not conceived in sin. He was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born into this world sinless without that sin nature, without that curse that all of us live under. And so that's how he was able to live differently and be differently. So the rest of, um, the rest of, of, of page uh, 42 uh, therefore, you, a lot of it is, is just kind of a quote from um, R.G. Lee talking about how Jesus was completely human. Um, he, was, he was just as human as you and I. Uh, he experienced every uh, need. He experienced every, um, I guess, shortcoming of, of, of humanity. Uh, he even faced temptation. He, fa he faced grief. Um, there, there are some things that, that it doesn't seem that he faced, but those would be things that would be uh, probably sinful. It doesn't seem that Jesus faced um, fear. It doesn't seem that he faced guilt. Um, there, there are certain things that maybe we face, but those things are results of our sin. Um, so Jesus's earthly ministry, while he was on this earth, he did miracles. Um, he, he taught. Um, he, he healed. Um, and he fulfilled prophecy. All throughout his ministry, there are things that he was doing, things that he was saying, times he was pointing out the prophecies that he had fulfilled. And so all of that was there really to make it impossible for him not to be what the Bible proclaimed the Messiah would be. So some of the prophecies you think, that doesn't even really matter. And, and I think that's kind of the point. It doesn't matter, but it's so, so strange and so obscure that it couldn't possibly be anything other than him fulfilling prophecy. So think about the triumphal entry and think about that interesting story where he has his disciples go and, and, and borrow a donkey and even down to what they were supposed to say if anyone called out to them when they were taking the donkey. And all of that was part of prophecy. That was all part of what God had said would be. And so some of these prophecies, obviously, you know, they, they were significant for other reasons, but some of them just simply seem to be there to kind of be a litmus test to prove and to show Jesus definitely is the Son of God. He definitely is the promised Messiah. And so um, we, we see, for example, there Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, um, the Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that is as good a synopsis of the earthly ministry of Jesus as you're going to find. I mean, those were the things that he was doing. He didn't stay in one place very long because he had a message that everybody needed to hear. But yes, he did heal the sick when he was there and he helped the brokenhearted. He, he raised, you know, dead children to life. He did all of the things that we would expect for Jesus to do. Now, there's so, so much more that could be said about that, but we are going to keep moving. So we're going to talk about the death of Christ now. Now, I actually have an entire book about what the death of Christ is, and it's not a small book. And so there's much, much, much that could be said about the death of Christ, what it was. Um, and so let's talk about the fact of the death first. Um, when you look at the gospel accounts, they all record the death of Jesus, and they all record very similar circumstances. In other words, you have four eyewitnesses who put their, their, their testimony down into words on page. Um, if, if you know, 
um, Hebrew law required there to be two witnesses to a thing. If there was only one witness, it could not be proven in a court of law. If there were two witnesses, then it was a thing that could be proven in a court of law. The Gospels are four. And so we have four witnesses. We have twice as many witnesses as we need to say that, yes, in fact, Jesus was crucified. There are people who have denied every element of the story of Jesus' life, and, and very strictly they have denied things about Jesus' death, um, his burial, his resurrection, those kinds of things. All of that has been denied by different people in the past, but there is not a, a shred of evidence they can bring forward to say that Jesus didn't die. By means of crucifixion, um, through, the, through the authority of the Romans, but at the behest of the Jews, all of that is... Is, is very well documented. In fact, we even have um, secular and Jewish historians that talk about th this very event. So this is not something that can be denied. Jesus definitely was crucified. Um, we know that it was by the Romans because we know it was by the Romans, but we also know that the Jews did not crucify. And so everything about this, it, it lines up. Jesus definitely died. So the question would be why? So for worldly understanding, um, according to the Jews, Jesus died because of blasphemy. To them, that was a capital offense, and Jesus had claimed to be God. I think that is very, um, that is very helpful in, in, in putting down any arguments that people might make about Jesus just being a good teacher. The Jews believed that Jesus was claiming himself to be God. You have to recognize that. Because that's Jesus' own message. They were not wrong in that Jesus was claiming to be God. They were only wrong in the fact that they thought he wasn't God. It's only blasphemy if you're wrong, right? If, if Jesus says he's God and he actually is God, then that's the truth. If Jesus says that he's God and he's not God, then that's blasphemy. But he didn't commit blasphemy because he truly was God. We've already covered that. And so, yes, he, he was, according to the Jews, he was, he was basically, that they had him executed you know, by the Romans for blasphemy. But blasphemy was not a, a, a capital crime in Rome or a, according to Roman law. They, they had so many gods. I mean, you, you, could not, you could not have blasphemy as a capital crime because they had so many gods that just worshiping one was blasphemy to another. You just couldn't, they couldn't have that. That was just too much. And so what he was accused of among the Romans was something akin to treason because he was an insurrectionist. They were saying that he was the king of the Jews. And that's, that's what, that's what, that's the irony and the reality of what Pontius Pilate had put above Jesus' head. Here is Jesus, king of the Jews. So that was the accusation. Uh, you know, the Jews said, hey, you want to make sure that it says he says he's king of the Jews. And Pilate said, I wrote what I wrote. Um, but that was the accusation was that he had been king of the Jews and that, that he was trying to be king of a nation that was already subjected to Roman rule. So that would have made him an insurrectionist. Um, and, and so what we know about that is, is that Jesus was saying that he was the king of the Jews. He was saying that he was their king, but he was saying that his kingdom was not an earthly kingdom. And so both of the things that the people you know, accused Jesus of, both of the reasons that he was executed, there is some truth even in that. And that's, that's kind of what makes it interesting. So we know the means. We know how Jesus was killed. We don't even have to really go into what crucifixion was. But I will say that there is much scripture in the Old Testament pointing to the type of death that Jesus would die. So then we start asking the question, what did Jesus' death do? 
Um, what did, or why did Jesus have to die? What did his death actually do? So on page 44, what they're getting at is that, that our salvation, our forgiveness of sin, um, that is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. And we do, as Christians, have a very bloody religion. We have to be aware of that, 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 that sin cannot be dealt with outside of blood. We can't have our redemption without the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a bloody religion. Um, and so we have to understand what Jesus' death actually did. So one big idea that they talk about is propitiation. Propitiation, um, you know, in its, in its secular usage means to turn away wrath. They give you a definition. Um, you should know I wrote my senior paper in college on propitiation, and I don't totally love their definition that they wrote here. Um, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time arguing about it. Uh, Jesus' work on the cross to satisfy God's righteous demand against sin. Um, the Bible is abundantly clear that God is angry about sin. God has wrath towards sin. Otherwise, how do you read and understand Revelation? If God's not angry about sin, why is all of those things happening? You know, it just doesn't make sense. But God is angry about sin. He is pouring out his wrath over it. And Jesus took that wrath upon himself, and that was the true punishment of the cross. And so that's perpetuation, taking the wrath of God, turning it away from um, those that, that, that follow after him. So other words, um, definitely atonement, that's also in the margin there, um, where, where Jesus is atoning or overcoming our sin. Uh, in, in other words, drawing us to God, substitutionary, dying in our place. Um, is, is another big idea. And there are other themes that you can talk about in terms of, of, of the death of Jesus Christ. It was sacrificial. It was substitutionary, propitiatory. Um, it, it was an atoning death. Uh, we could go on. Like I say, there's, 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 there's a lot about it. Um, but the point is, the death of Jesus was the plan of God for salvation. The blood that he shed is the blood that cleanses us of our sins. It is the blood that redeems us to God. It is what turns away the wrath of God and enables us to be a part of the family of God once again. And so those, those are the things that are really, really, really important. So resurrection and ascension of Christ. Just as certain um, as the death of Christ is the resurrection of Christ. Again, we have witnesses. Um, the one really, really important thing um, that I think could uh, might open and close the case for anybody that's trying to think of it from a logical standpoint, nobody ever claimed that the tomb wasn't empty. The tomb was empty. The Jews claimed that the tomb was empty, but they said the disciples stole it. The Romans, same story. The disciples, same story. The only difference is for, for the Jews and the Romans, they believed somebody stole the body, but for the, the disciples, they said that Jesus himself had been resurrected. So if the Jews really believed that the disciples stole, you know, stole Jesus' body, they could have produced that body. They could have went and found that body some way, somehow. Nobody ever produced the body of Jesus because he truly was resurrected. He did get up out of that tomb. Um, and what we have to understand about the resurrection is that Jesus was resurrected as the same person that he was before but he had this glorified body. He had, a, he had a perfected body. He had the body that, that maybe he um, sh should have had before, but he became completely human. So this resurrected body, yes, it's human. Yes, he is, he, he is eternally man, but that body 
is not like our body. He took on a body like ours in the, like in the fallen state, but now he has the glorified body. And so, but he was still recognizable. Thomas recognized him. Uh, the, all the disciples recognized him. You know, Thomas was the one that was saying, hey, I've got I've to touch the wounds before I believe it's Jesus. But as soon as he sees Jesus, he falls down, you know, at his feet and says, my Lord, and my God. And so he certainly knew that Jesus was, the resurrected Jesus was the same Jesus that he had served the same Jesus that he had, had loved. Um, and the other thing we have to understand about the resurrection is it validates all of Jesus' work. It is like God's stamp of approval on everything that Jesus did because Jesus at that time was dead. And so it wasn't a work of Jesus to be resurrected. That was a work of God. And God approved of everything that Jesus did. There's, you know, there's a couple of times, I guess you would say, throughout the, the life and the ministry of Jesus that, that God displayed his approval of Jesus, and the resurrection is one of those. So you think about the baptism where God spoke uh, and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. That was God showing his approval. And, and the transfiguration where God allowed Jesus to take on his glory for a short period of time and reveal that to the disciples, that was God showing his approval. There is another time where God interacts with the world based on what's happening. At the crucifixion, God's interacting with the world. There's earthquakes, there's dead people walking, and there's, there's different things going on there that obviously shows that, that God is, is, is interacting with the world at that time. And then the resurrection is another time. This is the time in which God shows that he approves of the work of Jesus. He accepts it as a pleasing sacrifice and so Jesus is resurrected, and, and, and that Jesus can then be, uh, can, can ascend into heaven at that point. And so the resurrection, we have to understand that it is central to everything um, that Christians believe. Uh, you know, Paul said, if, if Christ is not r risen from the dead, then we are, you know, to be pitied most of all. We have to understand that everything about Christianity actually hinges on resurrection in terms of is this a good thing or a bad thing? So what is the call that is placed on the lives of Christians? Is it follow Jesus and get healthy, wealthy, and wise? No. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of, I guess you would say, perks that he, he says in, in this life you're going to have he doesn't say that. He doesn't have like a, a rewards program. He doesn't, he doesn't have like things that are going to be good. He says, in this life you will have what? Trouble, persecution, suffering, you will have all these things. He even tells his disciples, look at how they treat me. I'm your master. They're not going to treat the servant better than the master. Jesus makes it abundantly clear we're going to have hard times as Christians. So if we join this religion of Christianity and we have hard times on this earth, but there's nothing after this, why would we join in the first place? Then it's just trouble for trouble's sake and there's, there's no good to come after it. That's why Paul's saying if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then we're to be pitied most of all because we're making ourselves targets. We're bringing the persecution and the trouble and the shame upon us and there's no benefit, there's no good. But if Jesus is resurrected, that means that we will be resurrected. That means that all of the good... So, so if you've ever heard of, of, of maybe a contract that's backloaded, well, the contract we have with Jesus Christ is very much backloaded because this world is going to be angry at us. It's going to be hostile towards us. But when we are resurrected, when we enter into eternity, it is all good news. There's no more negative. There's no more bad news. And that is one thing, however you want to interpret the book of Revelation, at the end, it's all good for Christians. It's all good for those that have followed Jesus. And so that is why the resurrection is central because if Jesus is resurrected, 
then we have hope of resurrection. If Jesus is in glory now, we have hope of future glory. So that's very, very, very important. Now, the ascension, um, it, it doesn't need to be an afterthought, although that's because I'm running low on time. That's how we're going to kind of look at it. But the ascension, Jesus goes back to heaven. Mission completed. He came from heaven. He did what he was supposed to do, and then God received him back into heaven, showing that mission was completed. It also shows, because the angels come down, men of Galilee, why do you stand staring about? The same Jesus that you saw go up will return in like manner. And so we have that understanding that, that Jesus went, mission complete, but he is coming back, which leads us into the last part, the return of Christ. There's a lot that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Um, the Bible tells us about a rapture. It doesn't use exactly that term, but it talks about a time where God will gather his elect. The Bible talks about Jesus coming and there being a, an Armageddon, a, a battle. The Bible talks about Jesus coming back and establishing a kingdom. The Bible talks about Jesus being the judge. So there's a lot of things that's going to happen. And, and now is not necessarily the time to try to put all those in order and plug all that into place. But what we know is that at the end of the opportunity of mankind to believe in Jesus Christ, he's going to return. When he returns, everything's going to be different. Um, all the things that people said, well, if God was really good, then he would do this. Well, when Jesus comes back, he will. And so that's the thing that we're going to see is that he will eliminate evil. He will defeat the evil one. He will judge the wicked and he will establish and glorify the righteous. All of those things are going to happen when Jesus comes back. And some people say, well, that's just too much to believe that at the end of the day, you know, a, a conquering king is going to come down and, 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 you know, kind of set everything right. Well, if you've been with us from day one, in the beginning, God created. This is his world. And if you have followed along and tracked along with that story, this is just the natural expectation that he has left this world. He promised he would come back. And when he does come back, he's going to set all things right. He came to this world the first time to save us. Well, that mission, that work has went on and it's still going on, but there's coming, a, there's coming a due date to that. There's coming a cutoff point. And when Jesus comes back, that's the cutoff point. And at that point, those that are saved are going to enter into their reward. Those that are not saved are going to enter into judgment. It's just that simple. And so Jesus is definitely coming back. He will return. And so there is so, so, so much more that could be said about the Son of God. Um, but we, the, the key things that we have to remember, we have to remember that, that he is eternal, that he is both God and man. He was God and man on this earth. He is God and man for all eternity. He, he, the virgin birth, the, 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 the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the sinless life of Jesus, the sacrificial death, the atoning death. We have to remember the, the resurrection where Jesus was dead, but, but God brought him back to life because he approved of everything that he did, and then the ascension and the return. So those are the things we have to remember about Jesus and understand um, to, to go forward. And so our teaching, the Southern Baptist teaching is not unique on Jesus. It is different than some, but it is almost the same as, as others. This is, our teaching on Jesus is, is pretty, I guess you'd say, normal for, for Protestant believers. Um, for pretty much anybody that, 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 that came out of the, the Protestant Reformation, they all pretty much believe the same way that we do about Jesus. This is not one of those areas that we diverge. But I will say that what we believe about Jesus differs from 
from the Catholic Church. It differs from like Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, people like that. There are people that are different, but the Pro Protestants, we all believe, roughly the same. Do y'all have any questions? That was a lot, and that was quick. All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time to gather together for a few minutes, and we just want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for your Son. Over the years, people have made up a whole lot of big words to try to explain what he did. But we understand that he saved us. He is our Savior, and he's coming back for us. And I praise you for that. And I pray that, that we can sometimes just simplify our faith and understand it like that. Because it, it can get... It can get kind of wordy. It can get sometimes kind of confusing. And when it does that, sometimes we don't have the, a good grasp on the hope that Jesus provides. But he has told us. He has left his apostles to remind us. He has even sent people along to preach it to us. He's coming back. And I praise you for that. And we look forward to that day. We're trapped in this world right now and we see sin and we see sorrow, we see suffering, we see all forms of evil and we know that those things are bad but we know that the, their days are numbered. And Lord, we look forward to that day and we will worship you in remembrance until that day that Jesus himself comes back and it is in his name that we pray. Amen.